Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. My name is Tom Douglas, and uh, we're happy that you joined us here for the next couple of hours, whether you're in your garden, in your car, in your kitchen, wherever you are. Hopefully you're going to turn to each other or turn to the stove, get cooking, and enjoy some tasty, delicious treats, and then wash it all down with something wet Mm. and delicious. So uh, I am chef owner of a few joints here in Seattle, including Seatown Restaurant down in the north end of the Pike Place Market area. This very room, the Hot Stove Society uh, kitchen, which is now open for business for in-person cooking classes. Uh, And then, uh, of course, uh, we have the serious takeout out in Ballard, uh, 52nd and 14th Northwest, where we do serious pies and all sorts of pop-ups. We've been doing Huli Huli chicken pop-ups during the month of July. And it's been really good. I've been nice eating. and spicy? Not, no, no. It's more Huli Huli is more sweet soy okay. uh, in nature. Uh, so it's been very tasty. I've enjoyed a few chunks of chicken and uh, continuing to, to navigate our way through uh, back to regular business. And still opening oysters. And look oysters. who's in the house. Yes. Hello. Instead of on the, uh, instead of on the, the Zoom from uh, Madison Valley. What a great pleasure. What yeah. a great, great fun pleasure. Absolutely. Seeing the team here, it's so awesome. And... Uh, there's a smell in the air of like charcuterie or ham. I don't know what. I think I just forgot to put deodorant on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Tom. <laughs> but uh, yes, it's very, very cool to be back. I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And I have Luke in Madison Valley until uh, the end of August. August 28th is our last service day. So if you haven't or you want to, hurry up, make a reservation and... We look forward to seeing you Tuesday through Saturday. Our producer, Pamela, has put together a really nice show. Pamela, did you know that I asked Terry to make me a reservation at Luke on the last night? And he made me a reservation for two hours after they closed. <laughs> he needs help breaking down the place, doing the dishes. I, need somebody, wow, I, like, I know I know, we're going to all be drunk, so he's going to have to clean the place. <laughs> yeah, thanks Good for that, call. Chef. Good call. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate that effort. Um, today, we're going to talk about shishito peppers. And if you're watching on Facebook Live, like uh, some people do every week, uh, we're going to do a little demonstration of how to blister them in a hot, hot cast iron pan. Uh, Grilling for Good coming up August 7th. Let us cook you dinner. Uh, We we are joining forces with the Wachner Foundation and doing a salmon or pork chop dinner box. It's $100, which seems expensive for dinner, doesn't it? What's the wait? Wait, what's wait, the fundamental? Doesn't it seem expensive for dinner? No, not today. The dinner box is a hundred dollars for two, right? But guess what? It's for two. No, it's for one. For one. But guess what? What? One hundred dollars of your one hundred dollars goes to the food bank system. You're just too kind, 100 sir. One hundred dollars, a hundred percent of the money we raise will go to the food bank system, thanks to the Wachner Foundation's generous grant to get a salmon and to do all the things that uh, you have to have in order to do a 100% match, right? So uh, that's uh, what I'm so proud of that. Our, when is this? August 7th. So uh, it's going to be super fun. We're going to uh, do a few of these uh, with the foundation, and we're excited to move forward with that. Uh, the founder of CB Nuts, if some of you have been listening to this show, I think uh, this particular peanut butter made my taste of the week about a month ago. Uh, so CB Nuts, uh, my favorite is the sea salt peanut butter, the crumunchy, right? Isn't that the same as the crumunchy? Yeah. Yes. So good. And so we're going to talk with them and talk about roasting nuts. Because, Terry, uh, you are a nut case. Yes. And so we thought we would roast you. We have the right man on the job for this. <laughs> <laughs> Cooking oils, uh, when to use them, why to use them, and how to use them. Wine importers are... Uh, 
Carol Bailey and Steve Medwell are here to talk about their project from the Languedoc region of France. And, of course, we'll wind up the show with our Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, as we do every week, except when our producer decides that she's tired of it. (laughs) Next week I want to do jokes. Next week you want to do jokes. Food jokes. Food jokes. Okay, good. Or food puns. Food puns. How about that? Yeah. We'll have to put Pamela in the penitentiary next week. <laughs> I, I cannot oh. wait. I cannot wait to hear this one. That's going to be okay, awesome. Okay, our taste of the week. Uh, it is corn time. The corn is really good this year. It's coming. The, yes. At least the ones I've had so far, really uh, crunchy and delicious. And uh, yesterday on Evening Magazine, I made a... Evening. Or Evening. I keep forgetting that. It's only been 10 years. I keep forgetting <laughs> that. On evening, you know, I do these spots for evening. Uh, they come up a couple of times a month if you ever watch that show, which I hope you do. Uh, anyway, in, I had them to my front yard yesterday to do my taping for the month, and I made shrimp and grits, but newfangled shrimp and grits. Tom Douglas shrimp and, shrimp and grits. Yeah, exactly. So I took my shrimp and I put my pork rub on it and made it nice and spicy, ready for the grill. And then I took ears of corn. Uh, and charred them on the outside, and then I had a, my cast iron pan on the grill at the same time, cooking onions. Mm-hmm. And so then I cut my corn off the cob, put them in with the onions, a bunch of herbs, some cream, and some chipotle Tabasco. Mm. And I made spicy shrimp and sweet grits. So in other words, I just got rid of the dried corn, right? and I made cream corn. Right. Oh, oh my fantastic. God, it was so good. It was so good. If you want to see how to do it, you can watch the evening segment. But if you want to uh, just do it yourself, it's as simple as that. Onions. And the the trick is don't overcook the corn, right? You want it to stay nice and crunchy. Mm. Uh, I know people want to sometimes have pureed cream corn. And if you want to do that, I mean, if you insist on doing that, take a box grater and just run the the, the cob over your grater. Right. You can puree the corn. But uh, my suggestion is just take off the whole... Uh, kernels, put them in the cream and herbs, cook them for maybe three minutes, and boom, you're done. It's so good. Put the spicy shrimp on top, and you have a really fresh version of right. shrimp and grits. Now, I knew that wasn't going to be your traditional shrimp and grits. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's going to be, uh, we, we just started featuring a salad that uh, look that is absolutely scrumptious, very summery. Fresh chickpeas, you know, when they're green, and, mm-hmm. and uh, fresh chickpeas, olives, burrata, um, nectarine, and a little bit of frise and a beautiful little saba on top, you know, which is basically a, almost like a reduction of, uh, of um, balsamic. If you take balsamic and you... It's re- un, uh, un-oaked. Correct, uh, un-oaked, yes. Balsamic. And it's actually very good. It's, it's nice, got a nice sweetness and, of mm. course, a drizzle of olive oil and sea salt. And it just makes such a wonderful little summer salad. You know, once you let it sit for about 15 minutes, you know, you get all those things get... Uh, Get attracted by the get the flavor out from the salt and the olive oil, and then you get this beautiful flavor and summery. Nothing's been refrigerated; it's all room temp. Oh, I love that, man! Especially yesterday was so hot. I had that last night for dinner. That was so awesome. Did you put some of those Hannah's Choice melons in there? No, but you know what? I can't wait to try those. <laughs> Jackie brought those yesterday. I, I was like, oh, did. my God. I saw them in the back of Luke. I was like, oh. I'm, yeah, no, you can where? smell them before you see them. Yeah. yeah. You can even oh. smell them when they're cold. Yeah. That's how strong they are. are. Our favorite melon that we grow at Prosser Farm. And Jackie had a, uh, 26 totes this week <laughs> of Hannah's Choice Melons. And so she brought you one. She yeah. was, I said, yeah, Terry will 
Jerry will of take course. one of those. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, she, so. she left me like six of them. I uh, cut up three totes myself and juiced them. And we're going to have a melon slushy at the Seatown restaurant. Oh, nice. <laughs> really tasty. Really Lip smacking. Lip smacking. And, you know, she was giving them away at the Dahlia Bakery this week uh, to customers who just came in. She just walked up and handed them a melon because <laughs> she has so many of them. Wow. Uh, up next, uh, peak of the season, shishito peppers. How do you do it? What's that blistering all about? On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Kitchen right here on Cairo Radio. We're happy that you've joined us. Hopefully you're making something with peppers because they are busting loose at our farm in Prosser. We just brought over 15 totes of peppers, uh, all sorts of sweet peppers that we then slice thinly and we pickle for our sandwiches, for our roasted oysters, for you name it. We make them with peppers this time of year. I've seen all those buckets last year. That was pretty impressive. Last year we did um, 55-gallon buckets of peppers. That is that is amazing. Which it, when it was funny because we had to. I, mean, I shouldn't say that. That wasn't last year. That was a year before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when we closed down, you know, we had pickled them all for the winter. Right. So when we closed down for COVID, we had all these peppers, <laughs> and so I made uh, a jardinera out at the warehouse when we opened that business as a little side salad for our sandwiches and used up them all. Used up every pepper we had. Wow. Super fun. Uh, Shishito chef. Um, you know, they're related to the Padron, but right. they don't have the heat that Padrones sometimes do, not Correct. always. Uh, but they're so they're very temperate. But they have the flavor. They have sure. a good green pepper flavor, mm-hmm. but a milder than, say, a bell pepper. Right. Uh, they have a few seeds in them, no problem. And uh, you, you don't have to destem them or do anything to them. You literally, once they're picked, they're ready to be cooked. Correct. Uh, and if that's what you want to do with them, right. you could also pickle them and have a nice little, like a peppercini kind of pickle sure. pepper. Uh, any favorite ways for cooking peppers for you? Well, I think I think on the barbecue, grilled or roasting, you know, really, really dark mm-hmm. is probably my favorite way to do most peppers because it's great. It takes the skin right off, and then you're just eating a wonderful pepper that has this smoky flavor or that, that char flavor. I, it goes instantly into it, the shishito pepper. But well, you don't need to take the skin off the shishito. No, no, no. You just eat the whole thing like this. And what's right. cool with that is it makes a great, you know, all you have to do is make a little dipping sauce to go with it. Mm-hmm. Like what? And That's what I'm asking you, dude. You know what? I, I would love to have a uh, fish sauce. You know, like a nice little, uh, you like know. A nokcham kind like of no- fish? Nokcham, yeah. Because yeah. I think it would be very much of a contrast. And the pepper is actually, I like, I like this. I don't like green peppers. Honestly, I don't. The, bell, this, the green bell peppers. Yeah, the green bell peppers. Oh. I think they're, we, we can pass that. I That's, like those, yeah. Yeah, I can bypass them. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. But these are very, very tasty and delicious, tender. They got all these different aspects of a great appetizer. You, you can roll them into that nong chong and then, uh-huh. oh, it'd be delicious. Um, another thing is a cheese fondue kind of idea where you do a goat cheese with a little bit of white wine. Just melt that down very slowly. Season it, maybe even a little heat if you want. And then you dip your peppers in that. Mm-hmm. That's also a nice way to do it. It's obviously the contrast of... Very light and very, you know, a bit heavier. But those would be my two favorite extreme to eat those peppers. Yeah. And do you ever do something like an aioli? That's a, probably a little... That, that, I mean, I think traditionally with this pepper is really not meant to be done with anything, No, right? no, no, no. So, but if you, uh, other than maybe a nice crunchy sea it, salt. Or yeah, the, the aioli for me would be a little bit too much. It's too, too, uh, too rich, too... I don't know, there's something that's... That's not ringing correctly with the peppers for me. How about ranch dressing? 
Yeah, no, you can't have that. But you know, a good vinegar, a good tarragon vinegar dressing. Uh huh. You know that would work for me. Let me guess, with Dijon in it. Yeah, of course. Of course. The Dijon is is a must everywhere. <laughs> but uh, also, it would make a great little. You know, if you made a little pie, not a pie, but a little tart mm-hmm. for appetizer. Again, with the cheese on the bottom, you put the peppers on there. You flash that in the oven for a few minutes after they've been roasted. It would be delicious of a yeah. nice little starter. So traditionally, what I like to do is I get a a nice. Uh, I think about a pan that I can take to the table. Right. Right. So uh, I'm I'm not. Uh, my intention isn't to transfer them. So then I take a burner, I put it on medium heat, and I like to use cast iron. And then uh, I don't use any oil. Do you use any oil when you blister your peppers? No. 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 So I'm going to take my medium heat, but it's hot now. Right. So I put. You don't. I guess you could turn it on high and then turn it down, or you right. can turn it on medium and keep it. Let it heat it. up, but it'll get to that same kind of hot stage. And then I take a big chunk. Shishitos are tiny little peppers. I take a big chunk and put them right on my cast iron griddle mm-hmm. because uh, I'm going to serve. And you can hear, I'm going to put my microphone yeah, right Yeah, that's a them. lively popping sound. Whoa. Now, <laughs> now they've got shy. No, but the mic is on fire. So you can hear them popping a little bit right on the cast iron. Sound effects. I know. Well, I, I, that was real, man. That was, that was wearing sound effects. Uh, anyway, so I just kind of toss them around. And if, uh, if I could get the kitchen team to hand me a pair of tongs, it would be great. Uh-oh. <laughs> He's taking apart his... Uh, uh, and so you just toss them around. And you'll see, uh, as you're tossing them around on your griddle, that um, they'll start to get a little bit of a, a blackened blister. And so don't worry about that. Let them, let them, yeah, yeah. Let them blister up. You're looking for that. You want that. the whole idea, exactly. Yeah. And then um, uh, we'll let those cook for a bit. But I like them sometimes with grated cheese on top. Uh-huh. So you can use a dry cheese like Parmesan, or you could use a little bit more moist cheese like Gruyere, or we have a little provolone today, uh, things like that. And what I like about that is that it, it reminds me of cheesesteaks. Because, you know, my, my Philly-style cheesesteaks, uh, I use a saute of onions, red peppers, and green peppers. Uh-huh. And that green pepper and cheese thing, sure. I just love it together. It's, uh, to me, it's... That might, it's that might be one way to make me like green peppers, is if you put cheese on it. Really? Yeah, because I'm not a big fan of that. The, I don't know. There's something about green pepper I'm not... I love red, yellow, I love them all, but... The green pepper, I'm just not a fan of. I'm in complete alignment. I will not eat a green one, but I eat a red one almost every day. Yeah, I mean, it's... You guys. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I mean, pro- it's, it's profiling. <laughs> profiling <laughs> in peppers. Okay, so uh, as you're cooking the peppers, you want to keep an eye on them. And remember, we're serving them on the cast iron pan that we've cooked them in. So what's going to happen on the way to the it's table? It's going to keep cooking. They're going to keep cooking, right? So if you take them all the way to done on your burner... By the time they sit there and, and the, your guests eat them, they're going to be overcooked. They're going to be kind of like soggy little, mushy little peppers. Right. Whereas you want them to have a little bit of a snap when you eat them. Now remember, if you put a hot cast iron pan on the table, make sure you have a piece of wood in the middle of the table to sit that on. Because that's going to burn the tablecloth. It is. And the table. And uh, what's going to happen also is when I put the cheese on these, the cast iron pan is going to melt and kind of... Crusty the cheese, which I really like. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so these are, I would say these are 50% cooked, so they're going to cook the rest of the way on the, the way to the table. Wow. I'm putting the cheese on. Nice. The cheese is, the cheese is smoking. I'm turning the fire off. 
the cheese is smoking, and it's going to burn a little bit. But that kind of smell is what I want, that kind of odor in the cheese. Your guests don't even have to eat that. They're just going to smell it and go, I'm so hungry. I'd eat anything right now. You know how when you make grilled cheese and the cheese kind of drips out and yeah. it's crusty around the edge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what's going to happen here. Right, of course. Yeah. So It's delicious. And now, chef, if you'll reach into that bowl over there and take some of that nice fancy sea salt over there. Uh, and let's finish these peppers with a little bit of sea salt. You know, the other good thing about doing this here at the hot stove is I don't have to do the dishes. And we get to eat it. Uh, so anyway, so that's how I like to serve them. It's a great, quick appetizer when you have guests coming over. And uh, when you serve it with the cheese like this where it melts to the pan, you kind of have to serve it with a little bit of a spatula. Well, yeah, because you, you don't want to leave it up. the cheese, right? You want to be able to scrape some of that crusty cheese Actually, if you, off of the pan. If you can, you take a spatula, lift up the whole thing, and turn it upside down so the crust of the cheese is on top mm. and the papers are on the bottom. There's your thoughts on shishito peppers. Uh, get out there, enjoy them. I know you can buy them year-round right now, but right now they're on the plants in your backyard and or over at our farm over on in the east side of the state. So uh, enjoy them, uh, celebrate them, and have a good time with them. I would say if you want to pickle them, they, they, they have such thin membrane on the shishitos. That's why people like them because they can just eat them without being Cold. a big green pepper crunch. But if you want to pickle them... Don't overcook them. You no, don't just, do a, just do a room temp brine. Don't, yeah, don't yeah. make it hot mm. brine. Right, exactly. All right, when we come back, Clark Bowen is going to talk to us about starting his CB Nut Company, one of my favorite little local success stories in the food world, right here on the Hot Stove Society Show, Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show right here in downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia, uh, right here at, in the second floor of the Hotel Andra above Lola Restaurant, which hopefully will be opening in November. You know, uh, Carlisle's at this point set to open uh, August 13th, we're trying for. Oh, wow. That's coming up soon. Yeah. Trying for that. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, there's lots of stuff going on at the Paramount Theater, and we're the concessionaire at the theater, so we have to get up and running and going and setting up bars i've been doing a lot of work on liquor list and you know it's very interesting times i'm very busy right now <laughs> it's reopening restaurants yeah uh clark bowen has joined us uh from where pamela did you Yay, say cb nuts C- we're so excited no i knew cb nuts but kingston is that right yeah kingston paul's bow let me guess cb nuts represents clark bowen nuts he must be a nut yes but much to the chagrin of my wife, but yes, indeed, it does. And why is she happy with my that? Wife is, does she do all the work? Uh, she is the president of the company, but I get to do the, uh, I get to do the talking point. But yeah, no, she's, uh, she holds it down for sure. Well, Clark, uh, we're, I was fascinated with your company years ago when I first saw the product because it just seemed unlikely that a peanut company would happen over there where peanuts don't grow in Kingston in that area. And it was just, uh, I, I was curious about the story, how you got, it fell in love with peanuts and, you know, they're, of course they're grown in the South uh, and uh, they have to be imported here to, to do it. But so, do, so does coffee, so does chocolate, so does a lot of things that come out of this, uh, the great Northwest. So tell us about your story and where things are headed for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, appreciate the opportunity. The My story starts in Wenanchee and really hot days, you know, um, not unlike what we're going through now. And I would escape to our basement house with a bag of hoodie peanuts 
and watch the Mariners baseball. Mm-hmm. And hoodies, hoodies at that time were out of Beaverton, Oregon. And, you know, so we had a fresh supply of in-shell peanuts. Well, in the late 90s, hoodies sold to a big multinational corporation and they moved their operations out of Oregon. And I really noticed that the quality had changed. And it was, uh, quite frankly, it was a bummer. You know, I'd be at the baseball game and all I had were just really crappy peanuts around everywhere. And I took the summer of 2001 and traveled around the country, kind of following the Mariners around. And it was in Baltimore, you know, close to Virginia, which has a lot of peanuts, where there was a vendor outside Camden Yard selling some salted peanuts. And I grabbed a bag and I went inside and I was like, oh, my God, here it is. You know, these, this is this. Here are these peanuts. So the game ends uh, and the series ends. I watch the series and I hand them my credit card. I'm like, look, whatever you need to do to get these to me, let's make it happen. He's like, nope. This is a retirement gig. I'm not shipping you anything. Sorry. So I, I come back home and I'm just, I know they're out there and I'm just devastated. I can't find them and I try mail or I try everything. And it just comes down to the fact like, man, I'm going to have to do this myself for no other reason than I just wanted really good penis for the ball game. So one thing led to another and the thing just got out of control and I was buying roasters and then I went down to California to learn to roast and Finally, all came together in the 2002 season outside Safeco Field, where I rolled up in a trailer, dropped my roaster, had peanuts. I'd go in by the second inning with fresh peanuts and beer money, and life was great. And um, then the Seahawks called, and they wanted them for the sweets, and so the things just started to evolve. And at that time, I met Tammy, my wife, and she said, hey, I think there's something here. And I was kind of burned out. I had started another company, and I was getting to kind of the end of that and so we decided to sell that and concentrate on cds and um we continue to flourish to this day um kind of where we're going is uh you know it's interesting right now our peanuts do come from texas and the southeast but uh we had done a pilot program with potato farmers in moses lake and like milton free water down in oregon and we didn't quite get yields but as the temperatures continue to rise i mean it may make sense that you know, we begin to look at growing again in the summer. So we'll just have to see. Well, super fun. Uh, When I uh, said, what was it, a month or six weeks ago, maybe two months ago, that uh, my taste of the week was the CB Nuts Cremunchy Sea Salt Peanut Butter, uh, Pamela kind of looked at me like I was crazy because she thinks she's all things vegetarian. And and so you went out and bought a jar, didn't you, after I said that? Absolutely. Had to pay full retail for it at Dahlia Bakery. <laughs> it's already gone. <laughs> so I put it in my, you know, I have a little thing at my bakery called Tom's Pantry. Some of my favorite ingredients around, the, you know, from fish sauces to um, Korean barbecue to a CB nut peanut butter. So uh, little things that I like to keep in my pantry. And that's... Um, uh, I'm a fan, and I would love anyone. Terry, are you? Well, you love peanut you. butter? I, I am not. Uh, it's not part of my diet as mm-hmm. much as as many Americans. I wasn't raised with it. I love peanuts, salted peanuts. Mm-hmm. I love that, mm-hmm. especially in the shell. As a kid, it would happen. Well, it would be a special treat when we get a bag of peanuts, salted peanuts. When you go to a game, it was definitely a treat. So, um, that's a good memory of my childhood for that. But peanut butter was not existing when I was a child. That was not part of. Uh, or diet I've obviously learned to like it since then mm-hmm. and uh, yes I do love peanut butter but I'm not 
It's not something that comes to mind often to just use as a product. Unfortunately for me, it's not. Well, automatic. you know how you like you like uh, to slather your baguette with butter and then put your triple creme cheese on yeah. top. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the same with peanut butter. I take the hot toast, I slather it with butter, and then I put the peanut butter on top oh, of that. Oh, you put butter with it. Oh, yeah. See, oh, now nice. I got you. Now oh, yeah, got yeah. You. Now yeah. you got my interest. <laughs> but you can get CB's roasted nuts in the shell in the bag. Yeah. So cool. we'll, yeah, well, oh, you, I will. I will make sure you guys get some. I will hook you up with a fresh bag right from the factory. I will get. Oh, it that would be sexy. Absolutely. Well, if you're out there looking about for some CB nuts, uh, I've seen them at um, pretty much every grocery I've been to, and it's usually in the produce aisle. Uh, where else would people find the nuts? Uh, we're, we skipped uh, T-Mobile this year just because of the pandemic, and we weren't quite sure where things were going. And it's uh, pretty intensive for us to be there, but generally. We are uh, the peanut there at T-Mobile Park, uh, so we'll probably look to revisit that next year. Um, other than that, you know, a lot of convenience stores, um, of course, uh, all the local grocery stores, and then um, hardware stores. It just it depends. I mean, it's pretty diverse in who has the product out there. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there are many of our um, the bakeries around town that utilize the peanut butter for uh, their ingredient as well. And then... You can, of course, always go online. <laughs> exactly. And get it there. exactly. Yeah. We're talking with Clark Bowen of CB Nuts out of uh, Kingston. Clark, what's your favorite way outside of sitting t- down to a bag of salted uh, roasted nuts in the shell or slathering some of your great peanut butter on toast? What's your favorite way to use your peanuts in more of a savory kind of dish? You know, I think it's tr- kind of a traditional, you know, that high peanut sauce. I love it. Um, Bourdain had that great recipe in his. <laughs> the sauté with fake ass peanut sauce, and I love, um, I love that. I love being able to the, the complexity of of what you can add and take away, whether it's more garlic or add more Fresno or Thai chili to make it spicy. But um, you know, it's a crowd pleaser whenever you're grilling up uh, some kebabs and and putting on some peanut sauce. That's my favorite for sure. For many for many years at Luke, we had a peanut ice cream that was. That was pretty damn killer. That was like, it's so easy to make, you know, use peanut butter. Oh, but now that I know there is a better peanut butter out there, I'm going to go hunt your peanut butter <laughs> and see what that tastes like. <laughs> and I tell you, peanut butter ice cream is definitely, you know, you make a creme anglaise base and you put peanut butter in it. Oh. There's nothing bad about any of this stuff. Yeah, all, all of the check, check, check. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you and, and you know what? You serve right. that you serve that with a little meringue, then you flum, then you burn at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, man. You know, I never ate peanuts in a savory situation much until uh, uh, I started eating at Saigon Over the Counter down in the Pike Place mm-hmm. Market, that little restaurant I ate there for years and years. And she put chopped peanuts on so many dishes right. in Vietnamese cooking uh, that I didn't even think about until I saw her do it. So then right. I started doing it myself, of course, because that's how I learned how to cook was watching other people cook. So, right, right. Uh, it is... Um, it's an easy way to add crunch, especially if they're roasted right. uh, and halfway crunchy, you know, halfway creamed. I like, like that They also a have a richness that, you know, in the palate, that when, when you eat a peanut, it's not like many other nuts. It's very rich in the end, in the end taste. So, yeah. And I would encourage people out there, you, you Jiffy people you uh, or Jiff peanut butter, you Peter Pan peanut butter people, get out there and try peanut butter that has no added sugar. And just it's no just palm plain, oil. Yeah, no palm oil. Just plain yeah. peanuts and salt. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, to me that other stuff is not peanut butter. It's you know some version of something that's supposed to be. But when you roast a peanut 
a fresh peanut. And right, all of those flavors we're talking about, they come through in just such a, a dynamic aspect to the dish and what they can add and with just a light touch. It's incredible. Well, thank you, Clark. we got to run to our next uh, segment, but uh, we appreciate that you took time to join us here at the Hot Stove Society radio show. Clark Bowen of CB Nuts. Look for him in your local groceries all over town, as a matter of fact, or online at cbnuts.com. Uh, up next, uh, we want to hear how uh, uh-huh, how Terry and Tom roast nuts, don't we, Terry? Absolutely. <laughs> I love to roast my nuts. <laughs> On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen Show on Cairo. Chef Terry is in the house for the first time since last November. We're yeah. very excited to have you back. It's very cool to be back in yeah. person. You know, you must be, I know you're ready to be out of that, uh, your, what is it, the top of your house, your, where your office is? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I'm yeah. definitely, definitely happy to be here. Yeah, and I saw you at the, at the restaurant the other day. Your team was happy to see you. And, uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, we just had CB Nuts folks on. Let's... Uh, Talk about how to roast nuts, why to roast nuts, and um, different ways that you use them in a salad. And I know you're going to go to a beet salad with goat cheese and roasted walnuts, so I'm just going to take that off the table. So uh, I want a new dish from you, sir. I've had that at your restaurant many well, we times. Just, we just picked the beets out of the garden. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, the So first- here we are. Let's, let's start from the beginning. You're at the Metropolitan Market. You're buying some nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you have this long-term plan that you're going to make uh, salted almond green beans or something Correct. like that. So what are you looking for in the nuts at the grocery store when you buy them? I'm looking for sliced almond. So you want to buy them pre-sliced. You don't, Correct. Yeah. I'm not going to slice them myself because it doesn't help to do that for okay. me for, for that purpose. Uh, there is plenty of good sliced almond on the market. You buy sliced almond. You, you and then, buy them in the bulk or do you buy them in the bag? Bulk. Bulk. Because it's easier. That always worries me. Why? Well, just because I feel like you don't know how long they've been sitting in that open container, whereas in the bag they're sealed up. And You go to the, you go inside the bulk. You know, you don't take on top. You take off from the bottom cause, uh-huh. or for the middle, uh, mainly because they haven't been less exposed and everything. And I mean, this is a life in the big city. Yeah, you know, you, you, you're don't not, worry about you're it. Not picking you're the, yeah, yeah, you're not picking the almond out of the okay, tree. Okay, so now you've got a little a pound of almonds. And I'm going to come home and I'm going to roast. And you only buy as many as you need, right? Correct. Yeah. And I actually, uh, if I have too much, the number one thing I do is put some in the refrigerator. If I know, for example, I bought, when I get home, I'm like, damn, I bought too much, you know, half as much as I need. I'm going to take that, put it in a little bag and put it in the refrigerator. And the main reason is because anything with oil, and we're talking about oil later, but anything with oil, I'm a big believer that you keep it refrigerated so its shelf life is longer. If you, especially these days in the summertime, you keep nuts in the, in the cupboard where, where you would love to keep them, they are going to go bad. They're going to go rancid within a few weeks. So mm. you don't want to lose those almonds. They're, they're delicious. And I tend to keep them in the freezer. You keep them in the fridge. Yeah, because I'm going to use it soon. Yeah. I'm not going to, yeah. you know, if I'm going to, if, if, for example, peanuts, I mean, uh, pine nuts. When I buy pine nuts, I definitely put it in the freezer because it, something I cherish and it's very expensive and you know I don't use it quite as often so I want to make sure they don't go bad and they go but the, the, the fastest nut that goes bad or the nut that goes the fastest bad mm-hmm. <laughs> we know what you mean chef <laughs> one of those yeah and uh, so the almond I'm going to toast them so I have two ways to toast I can toast them in the sheet pan in the oven and then to- keep tossing them around 
Not necessarily my favorite unless I'm doing a lot of them. Why is it not your favorite? I know why it's not my favorite. But because it's going to burn 90% of the time. I know, you walk time. away and kaboom, they're gone. Well, it's much harder to control. Yeah. Where if you take the sliced almond and not too much of it in a, in a pan. in a Sauté ca- pan. In a sauté pan. Then you put that on the fire and you toss your almond around. And again, not too much so you can give them all have a chance to color both sides of the, mm. of the almond slice. So now you but get the key to that, whether it's sheet, a sheet pan in the oven or the, on top of the stove, don't walk away. Oh, yeah. When they start to go, they go really fast. They go very, very fast. And when they're going, you want to be tossing them around so then they don't, toss, they don't burn all on one side. Yeah. You know, you want to make sure that you get that heat to, to, to get all the different sides of that nut. So that's my toasted almond. I put that on the side, lay it down so it cools off. And then I got some nice crispy almond. Why do I toast them? Because I like them, I use them mostly in salads or in my cereal in the morning. If I don't toast them, they're going to be that mushy. And I also feel like they don't have that, that flavor. The that flavor is flavor. huge, yeah. It's completely different. Yeah. So I'm not that big fan of that. Um, now, if you pick fresh almond when off the tree a little bit earlier in, uh, in uh, late spring or mid-spring, you know, green almond, you can make green almond salads. with a. You can press those, make a little milk and make... Green almond milk, but yeah. that's a completely different. I find different. it gross. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I find it gross. Well, I just like I like nuts. I like regular nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> so now let's move on. So the almonds, you could use those for anything. You can use them on top of green beans. You can make sole almondine. You could make an almond apricot frangipan tart. You can do all sorts of I things mean, with those millions almonds. of usage. Yes. Now let's move on to well walnuts. We said we we know you love your beet salad with walnuts and goat cheese. Let's move on to hazelnuts, because to me, that's a tricky one, because the skin on hazelnuts tends to be a little bit tough, Yeah, and I like them best when the skin is done like what we just did with the almonds. We toast the whole skin on hazelnut until the skin starts to um, pop pop and starts to flake off, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm a a big fan of that. For the hazelnut, I never do it in a pan. I always do it in the oven, Okay, and I really, really get it blonde dark. So I go blonde. So what and color? Related to a color. You say blonde dark, but Meaning are we talking about the color of a copper penny? Yes. Are we talking about the color of the skin itself? That's too dark, right? No, no. I want it to be that dark because it will pop. And then when I take them out of the oven, I put them in a towel and I roll them into a towel mm-hmm. so all the skin comes out. So like this, I have no skin left on the, more or less no skin left on the hazelnut itself. Mm-hmm. But I get that beautiful dark color on the outside of the um, hazelnut. And then I crush them to put in salad. I'm not a big fan of having a salad with hazelnut. I've had that before in some restaurants. You get a whole hazelnut, and I'm like, hey, man, that's a lot to crack on. <laughs> I like my teeth. So, <laughs> but I like the texture of the hazelnut, you know, crispy to be crunchy. Mm-hmm. And I like to crack them, um, you know, just with the palm of your hand or with a knife, the back of a knife. And then uh, crack, crack them and then put that into your salad. Mm-hmm. And hazelnut, roasted hazelnut is very elegant. To me, I find it elegant of a nut. You know, it's a beautiful flavor. It's kind of delicate in some ways, and it goes with so many different things. Um, first thing that comes to mind is a dressing. Right now, there is tons of tarragon in the in the uh, in the or basil in the uh, garden. A little rice vinegar, a little olive oil, and then at the last minute, some nice toasted hazelnut in there. It changes the whole texture and flavor of the dressing. Put that over a nice piece of fish that's been, you know, a piece of salmon and you grill, or put it over a nice salad of um, baby vegetables and greens, you know, something like that. It's really, uh, to me, it brings a different layer of texture in your 
in your um, right. salad and also flavor. Hazelnut is a beautiful, I don't know, it's a beautiful nut. It's very... Um, I, I like taking those kind of nuts, uh, hazelnuts or roasted almonds or something, and making butters out of them, cashews, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. a curry butter. Like for our spinach salad at Edda's for years, we would take the cashews, we would roast them to a golden brown in the oven, and then we would make on the side a butter with curry and garlic and uh, a little bit of shallot, salt, pepper, and butter. And then when they come out of the oven, when they're super hot, we toss them in the curry butter. Right. And the nuts just soak them up. They're of ready course. to go, and they soak up these, these, this, this curry butter. And then they actually last fairly nicely, and you can use them in salads. You can use them on curries. Uh, yeah, know, I mean, just a, it's just a fun way to take a roasted nut and change it up a bit. Right. It's almost like a met d'hôtel. You know, you just a couple of slices and put that on top of even a nice piece of fish. People don't know great. what a met d'hôtel is. A beurre met d'hôtel, which is yeah. basically butter and fresh herbs rolled together and salt yeah. and pepper and put that on a steak at the last minute. And I want a, that. The med hotel? <laughs> typically, it's like, you know, when we talk curry or masalas or something. Typically, yeah. it is a house butter. Like, it's, Correct. every hotel has their own med hotel recipe Correct. For, for their own house. So, yeah. But usually, it's crunched, basically chopped herbs and, and butter rolled together and mixed together. And, but not with nuts. But not with nuts. But mm-hmm. once you had nuts to it, in terms of, like, what you just explained... Yeah. It can be used in the same principle. And, and don't forget, all these nuts can be turned into um, a, uh, what's the word I want? A franzip- not a franzipan, but uh, almond paste. Oh, they yeah, can yeah. be turned into nut paste. So you take those roasted hazelnuts and you puree them in your food processor. If you just add a little sugar, you end up with like hazelnut butter. You right. know, just right. as simple as that. Yeah. Um, and that's really good these days with all the berries out there. You know, you get some raspberries, blueberries, and... Make a nice little compote of that and put the, all that crumble of hazelnut yeah, on top. Delicious. Mm. All right, we've got another whole hour. We're looking forward to that. Uh, don't uh, go away. Just get cooking. Just get shopping, whatever you need to do. But don't lose us here for the last hour of the show because there's many things coming up. Uh, what kind of oils should you have in your cabinet? Wines from the Languedoc region. Uh, certainly the Rub with Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. All that's to go. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Thank you for hanging with us. Uh, welcome to hour number two of the Hot Stove Society Cooking Show on Cairo. My name's Tom Douglas, and uh, I am a chef owner of several of Seattle's fine restaurants here in downtown, and of course, our serious takeout in Ballard, uh, 52nd and 14th Northwest. People always like, they can't find it. And if you say the brewery district, it's a little bit confusing because uh, there's breweries on both sides of 15th, right? Mm. And so now what I have to say is, like, if you're coming over the Ballard Bridge from downtown area... Uh, Make you, a right. There's, a, there's an Amazon Go store. Just go... And that's at the corner of 52nd and 14th. Or 50... 15. 15th. And, yeah. Uh, 52nd and 15th. So you just make a right there, go east for one block, and that's where Serious Takeout is. Yeah. From 15, it's a right, not a left. Correct. Uh, it used to be... Do you remember what used to be where the Amazon Go store was? Mm. It used to be Louis Cuisine of China. Oh, yeah. For years <laughs> It was and a years restaurant. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And uh, because I've always lived in that north area there, North Ballard area, I stopped at Louis Cuisine of China many times. And it was much, I'll say it was a little bit more for the convenience than for uh, <laughs> for the flavor. I mean, the whiskey was always good, but, <laughs> but it, was, uh, it was a fun stop, and I miss it dearly. Uh, chef. Yes, sir. Oils. Oils in the kitchen. And this, the reason I think we're going to 
stay on this topic for a bit. We talked about the peanut butter with CB nuts. We right. talked about how to roast nuts. And let's talk just a little bit about oils in the kitchen because of many of them come from nuts. Right. Uh, of course, peanuts aren't a nut, right? right. Peanuts are a legume. Vegetable. Yeah. But a lot of oils, different areas of the uh, plant, right? So mm-hmm. there's corn, soy, uh, all the fancy nut oils you have to be very careful with. They go rancid Correct. very quickly. Sesame. Walnuts, first one that comes. Yeah, sesame yeah. seed, mm-hmm. uh, avocado oil, olive oil. You know, people don't think of olive oil as a, as a vegetable or fruit, but it's very much the same it's the same bracket. Yeah. And, it doesn't go um, bad as quickly, though, I don't think. Well, an oil going bad is mainly due to the surrounding. So if the heat is, you know, normally room temp in most people's houses is between 70 and 80, mm-hmm. that's too hot for an oil to be staying in. The, the oil should stay in a cellar temperature, more like 55, 60. Anything higher than that, it starts deteriorating. Mm-hmm. And then the other big, big player in deteriorating oil is light. You know, so the most light there is, the less the oil stays alive. Mm-hmm. You know, it deteriorates. Um, I'm personally, if I buy a very expensive, you know, the most expensive oils are probably the nut oil, like hazelnut oil, you know, those kind of oil that are more expensive. Argon oil, I love argon oil, which is also a nut oil from Morocco, toasted. I keep those in the refrigerator yeah, for sure. For sure. Olive oil, I go through a lot of olive oil, so I don't really have to refrigerate it. Um, my vegetable oil is in the fr- fridge as well. Uh, my avocado oil is in the refrigerator as well. It's the only difference I can make is to put it in the refrigerator. I know that people who make oil says you should not refrigerate it, but it's my safety. Well, let's, let's cook with them a bit. So okay. if you're taking a walk and you want to get that hot kind of uh, Chinatown sear, I'll call it. We call it mm-hmm. the breath of the walk, right? The walk is red hot. You put the oil in. And when you, you get a smoke off of that oil... And that's part of the flavor. That's, a, that's its flavor profile. You don't want it burnt, but you do get a smoke off the oil. Correct. What oils, I mean, for me, that's a soybean oil. That's Correct. a canola oil. And we're adding flavor to what is a neutral oil. Correct. If you want to get flavor from an oil that is without burning it, and is, so it's adding its own flavor, then you've got to move into peanut oil, right? Correct. Or Correct. somewhere, uh, corn, sort of, sort of but yeah. not a lot. I deep fry with peanut oil all the time. Are you right. good with that? Absolutely. I love, I think, I think, unfortunately, there is many people who are allergic to peanuts, mm-hmm. which... Those are the ma- ones I invite for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I just check their wills before I, I invite them over. Make sure it's dedicated to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's one way to do it. The other way is, of course, uh, not being able to do that, especially in the restaurant scene. You know, it's very yeah, we much harder. Really, yeah. But I love frying in peanut oil because I think it's probably one of the most flavored oil we have to fry with. Right. And I think the, the flavor you get with peanut oil is unparalleled to anything else we have on the market. Even, uh, you know, slow, slow frying with olive oil. I've done that confit, you know, style where it's not boiling, it's not or too hot. Or duck fat, yeah. Or duck fat. This is different flavor. The, the peanut oil brings a flavor to the dish that's really delicious mm-hmm. and very different. Um, yes, 100% with peanut oil, especially if you're going high heat. You go quick. <clears throat> the other solution is you can use things like clarified butter or other fats to start the heat, the high heat, and then at the last minute finish with your favorite oil. Like if you have a, a good extra virgin olive oil that's cold press, you know, first press, whatever, and that's super delicious but has no resistance to high heat, you just put that at the last minute into your, your dish so mm-hmm. it seasons it. It flavors it, 
but it doesn't burn. Right. So you don't get the bad side of it. I have these little goat cheese uh, tarts that I like to deep fry in olive oil. Whoa, whoa, hold on one second. It's you expensive. Deep, you deep fried goat these cheese are, stuff? These are a dessert. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I, I make a little uh, pastry, uh-huh. fill it with uh, honeyed goat cheese. Uh-huh. Uh, cl- close it up like a like turnover, a yeah, like a little mini hand pie, and sure. uh, then deep fry them in <laughs> olive oil, and uh, super delicious. Of but course. the thing is, you have to use you have to make a lot of them. Like right. you wait for a big party because that's expensive deep fry oil. Sure. But it works beautifully. Of and course. then when I pull them out, I just drain them off a little bit, and I drizzle honey and pistachio and mm. fresh mint over top, and because uh, I think people are afraid to deep fry in olive oil, but it's good. It's just you, expensive. My best memory of frying in olive oil was going through the old market in Nice, maybe 10 years ago, whatever, buying three loups de mer, which is basically sea bass from the Mediterranean, and buying a whole bunch of fennel fresh picked and fennel bulb, and then going back to the house and make, cut the fennel in half overnight with salt and a little bit of olive oil so it would render and tenderize a little bit. The next day, rinse them off, dry them off, and put them in olive oil only with a bunch of fresh herbs, and mm-hmm. put that in the oven slowly. But that's poaching. That's not deep frying. I know, but still, well, it's... It's not. Ah, okay. I'm just saying. It's, it's not it's deep just, frying. It's different. You're right. It, no, no, it's different, but... Because it po- doesn't... When you deep fry with olive oil, you're, you're, rent, you're, you're altering the oil from its state. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't... I was trying not to alter the oil, because the oil yeah. was so good. Yeah. And, uh, oh, man, it came through that fennel, because it imbibed the fennel with... The, so delicious. So delicious. Oh. Yeah. Uh, any other favorites of uh, when people say they love their, uh, you'll see on some menus, there's duck fried potatoes right. or there's beef tallow fries or something like that. What they're doing in my mind, if they have a deep fryer, a lot of those smaller, smaller restaurants don't have a full deep fryer, but if they do, and, and if it's say a 40 pound deep fryer, which is about five gallons of oil, yeah. they might put a quart of beef fat in there, right? Right. To flavor the oil. Correct. If they're not deep frying in 100% lard, 100% beef Correct. tallow, 100% duck fat, it's just too expensive some, and impossible. Some people do, but it's not as common. It's yes. not very common, no. and nor is it necessary. Correct. Yeah. You can easily flavor a five gallon bucket of uh, canola oil. And put a big, if you put well, two pounds, pa- you, put, you put a pound, you put a, a pound of lard in there, yeah. you're going to flavor that oil in no, no time because it's not, ver- it has no flavor in the first place. Right. So it's easy to flavor that. I think that's something that's a misnomer out there. People don't get like, oh my God, they deep fried in, their French fries in beef fat. It's like, yeah, it's just like one t- hundredth of a part of the fryer oil. Right. Typically. Exactly. I'm sure there's some who do 100%. The other way to do it is dredge your fries in the beef fat itself and then yeah. drop them in there. Okay, it's time for the princess and the bear. Oh, my God, they've just shown up. They just walked up in the castle. Named after two highly enthusiastic uh, founders, uh, Carol Bailey and Steve Medwell. They're going to come up with us uh, when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Hey, everybody, you're hanging with us here at the Hot Stove Society Kitchen. While we're taping the Hot Stove Society show on for Cairo Radio, hey uh, Chef Terry, you're you're yes, out of sir. your attic. You're back here in the studio. We're I so happy about that. Feels so good. And then look who we've uh, found to to put in front of you. It's the Princess and the Bear, named after two enthusiastic, high energy founders of uh, the company of this of the same name. Uh, welcome to our show, Mr. Medwell, and welcome to our show. 
Miss, Miss Bailey. That's me. I know Carol, but I didn't know Bailey. Hi. Uh, uh, welcome. And um, we I've known these folks for a very long time. Um, I think of you as an attorney, and I think of you as a doctor. How the heck did you get in the middle of this little importing business that you've started here? And how's it going? And, and tell us about it. Take tell it away, Bear. Journey. Go for it. We failed retirement. You failed retirement. Yeah, we did. We, uh, I promised him we would have an idyllic life in the south of France, but here we are talking to you, yeah. so he can tell you what happened. Is this how, you, when she says go for it, she really means she's going to tell us? <laughs> Pretty much. You, you, you That's re- how it goes. You recognize that right away. Yeah. <laughs> what happened was that you know, we bought this house in, uh, in the Languedoc region of southern France, and we bought it about six years ago. We both retired in 2018, and we moved there. And we started drinking the wine, eating the food of the region, and it was just it, was, it just blew our mind. We were drinking these amazing wines that cost under 20 euros mm-hmm. uh, at a restaurant. And little did we know at the time that the Languedoc-Roussillon is the largest wine-producing region in the world. And it's, it's always been known for these, it's been known for years and years and years as a bulk wine-producing region. But what's happened is there's this underground group of winemakers who have moved there from all over the world and local winemakers who, who were born and raised there that are making these in just premium wines at reasonable prices. And so we looked at each other and we said, you know, let's have some fun here. So what we do now, the way we find the wines, which is the most fun part of the whole project, is... We go to restaurants, and now people in the region are starting to know who we are. And we ask the waiter or the sommelier. There aren't, there's not always a sommelier because we're in little bistros and little cafes and auberges and places like that. But we'll ask the um, waiter, what's your favorite wine on the wine list? Because there are a lot of them. We don't, now we're starting to recognize, but at, at that time we didn't. And so the waiter will say, I love this one. It's made by the man in the next village. So Steve and I would drink the wine and go, oh, my God, this is so incredible. And we would get in our car and drive to the village and find the winemaker and say, we love your wine. Um, have you ever had a U.S. importer? And they're like, no. We don't even have a website in English. We don't have a marketing department. It's just me and my wife, and we only make 8,000 bottles a year. And then Steve and I would, like, sign them up and say, we're your guys, you know. So that's how we did it. These are really little, tiny mom-and-pop producers. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a a couple producers of the 40 or so producers that we represent that, you know, are larger volume. But most of them are small. Mm -hmm. They're really, truly garagist. People who are making wine in their garage. Yeah, and it's a small production, so you only get a few cases every year. And Right. And, and the big importers are not interested in them because they can't import enough to Correct. make money. Correct. And because this really is a passion project for us, and our real interest is to show the world that small family farms growing organic grapes mm-hmm. can make terrific wines that are affordable. Right. And that's the main key for Steve and me. If the wines cost $60 or $80, we wouldn't be doing it. It's not interesting if they're expensive. Right. But when they're $25 and they're delicious right. and made from organic grapes, most of our producers are females. So it's just the whole story has been amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm just happy the waiter wasn't lying, that there actually was a guy in the next village. <laughs> right. Yeah. His nephew waiting over there to yeah. kidnap us. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Kidnap my, the Americans my, and steal their passports. My name is Guido. I am your winemaker. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're, uh, we're both really proud of the fact that 
we're bringing in about 150 different cuvées now, and 70% of them we are retailing for under thirty dollars. Mm-hmm. That is awesome, and they're killer wines. Yeah, I mean they're really killer. They're, they're the wines. They're interesting. They're interesting. Uh, the wines that that are made that uh, that we uh, that we're bringing in, most of them are unoaked or just yeah. have a little bit of oak. You know, and the winemakers really allow the grapes to express themselves. You know, without without a lot of makeup. And there is Carol, also Carol's got a good. You've got a great description. Steve always, when we taste the wines that aren't oaked, they're just natural. He's like, this is how I've always liked my girlfriends. (laughs) Just beautiful without any makeup, just like this wine. Mm -hmm. Natural, soft, gorgeous. You know, and the dunk test, you can dip it in the water, and when all the makeup comes off, is it still beautiful? So those are the wines we look for. No oak, no chemical intervention. Mm -hmm. Oh, in the morning. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. The morning view is must be beautiful. She's still beautiful in the morning. That's right. The morning and not view. Not just she. It's you too, buddy. Yes. That's right. Yeah. There's no question about that. Yeah, that's yeah right. there's no question. Um, so, so let's just go stay on this part a bit. So you're a retired doctor. You're a retired attorney. And then you, you go down. It's one thing to find the wines. It's another to navigate the process of getting them shipped uh, through the customs through the washington state liquor control board through all this that has to happen before it shows up on the grocery store shelf or yeah. on a restaurant menu so uh, what did you do for that process well i think that carol being a lawyer was really helpful yeah <laughs> we, we couldn't have done it without me figuring out how to get the licenses from the federal government and we had a woman in California who helped us negotiate the beginning of the process. But Steve and I have figured it all out ourselves. We have we help the producers because they're all tiny. They don't have marketing departments. We've helped them get their FDA numbers. Steve is now in charge of the shipping. <laughs> I'm, I'm a logistics guy. Mm-hmm. So, but we have we have a we we have an import license, we have a distribution license, and we have a retail license. But we have chosen only to do direct-to-consumer retail, right. either online or through our tasting room. That's that awesome. We, we sell to one grocery store because we love them. It's our and, neighborhood store. And, mm-hmm. um, but other than that, we sell direct-to-consumers pretty much all over the U.S. That's beautiful. Yeah, We're going to find out more about that. Well, tell people, in case they don't hear the next segment, uh, where you do that at. Where's your tasting room, and how do they get on your list? Go ahead, Carol. Our tasting room, we had no idea how wonderful it was going to be, but it's in the South Park neighborhood of Seattle, which is a very multicultural area, and we love it down there. Um, Our address is 309 South Cloverdale Street, and... um, we also love that Osprey Bistro is next door, and um, he, Shane, who's the owner, was the executive chef at Matt's in the Market, and with COVID and everything, he opened his little gig. So we have our tasting room and Osprey Bistro, and then there's a bunch of other restaurants in the uh, South Like Park. Loretta's Tavern. In South Park? Yeah. That's yours? No. No, but, I was just going to say. Uh, Loretta's, Loretta's is awesome there. I know, in yeah. Loretta's Tavern with the hamburgers. Yeah. Right mm-hmm. there. So yeah. that's not your Loretta. It's somebody no. else's Loretta. And for people that want to look at it, our website is theprincessandthebear.com. So you can find us online there and order online if you'd like to and see what all we've chosen to import. Right. We're not going to hold the name against you. 
We love our uh, name. Next, uh, <laughs> next segment, we're actually going to taste some of this wine. And, Carol, you have been traveling around to cooking schools all over the country and the world and, and uh, may- maybe matching up some foods to go with your wine. So we're going to dive into these ju- this delicious juice. Uh, I can't wait. Segment. I've already started. But You've already started. If I may be so bold as to even talk about food in front of you oh, two oh, masters. Whatever. When we come back, it's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. <laughs> We are back in the hot stove kitchen. It's very busy in here. Uh, if you haven't had them, the uh, hot stove uh, entrees over at the Dahlia Bakery are super fun and delicious. And so they're busy making those. It smells Chef delicious. Chef Terry, our guest, are Steve Medwell and Carol Bailey of the Princess and the Bear Wine Distribution Company. Uh, and they have a tasting room down in South Park on Cloverdale. But they are from, if I'm not mistaken, uh, their house in France is near where you grew up. Uh, it's about, no, I grew up a little bit more northwest oh, okay. of that, but where they are, it's close to Narbonne, which is basically close to Camargue, which is the only place in France where we, we grow rice. It's also the wild horses. It's absolutely gorgeous country, and many Americans have never visited that part of France. And it's beautiful, and you go all the way down south to the, the most southern part of France, which is Sainte-Marie-de-la-Mer, gorgeous place, yeah. gypsy king area. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful part of the world, and they stayed for nine months in that little town right next to Narbonne, which is absolutely gorgeous. So, south of France, the <laughs> so, air hole. So, the real question is, why are you here if it's so beautiful there? What, what, what is wrong with you folks? We just had a grandson We just had a baby. Oh, did you? Congratulations. Last week, yes. Is his name Hercules? No, no, his name's not Hercules, but uh, he does have a, his father is Brazilian, and so his um, name is James Patrick in English, but his Portuguese name is Tiago. So we're here for Tiago. Okay. Nice. And we, also, we, had a, we also had a grand opening of our tasting room. Okay, good. Awesome. Our tasting yeah. room just opened in April after the lockdown. I can just talk about it quickly. One of the great things about our wines is that once you taste them, you're hooked. Because they're so fresh and delicious, and reasonably and then you see priced. the price tag. Our, yeah. our, we have these. We have wine clubs, and our wine clubs have increased by fifty percent since we opened the tasting room. Mm. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. So That's let's talk fun. about the wine. Now, we, okay. the last segment we heard about your journey. This segment, let's talk about the wines and how to match them up with foods and and where you learn how to do that and. So what do we have in front of us? So the white wine, um, and every bottle we have has a story about how we found it. Mm-hmm. So this wine, it's the Bergerie de Lortus, which is from one of the finest appellations in the Languedoc, which is the Peak San Lu. Mm-hmm. And the vineyards are up at 300 meters, and they get the influences of the Marin, which is the wind coming off the Mediterranean that is warm and gives some salinity to the wines. And then they're at the foothills of the Seven Mountains, so you get the cool night breezes. And when you have those two influences, it slows the ripening of the grape, so you get tremendous complexity and freshness mm-hmm. in the wines. Mm-hmm. So uh, we found this wine from Lortus because a customer told us that he was at a wine tasting in Napa and that the sommelier that was pouring the wine told him that the best wine he'd ever tasted was from the Domaine Lortus. <laughs> so Steve and I got in our car and drove over there uh-huh. and uh, we thought they're never going to sell to us because we're just little importers, you know. But we met Eve, one of the four siblings who runs the family estate. And he said, I'd love to sell to you all. We don't have anybody in Washington State. So um, this is their... 
white wine and what they say about this wine is you can have wines that have high awards and have mentions in many reviews but it's the wine where the bottle is always empty that you want to have on your table <laughs> and this is this is the bottle that's always empty because it's so delicious and it's, it's a, a blend it's a great it's a great blend it's it's um Roussan, Sauvignon Blanc, Viognier, Chardonnay, Petit Manson, and Muscat Petit Grain. And so it's yeah, a this blend. is this is a a kitchen very, sink wine. This, no, but this is the cool part about the Languedoc and the Roussillon area is they have grapes that no one has ever heard of. That's exactly. right. Exactly. You know, most people have heard of Chardonnay, Cabernet, Merlot, but. Try try saying those names again one yeah. more time, <laughs> and people are going to be like, "What are these?" And that's what that's really what we want to bring to people is great varieties they've never heard of, right. grown in terroir that's really authentic. And so this wine is a great example, and uh, they made it to drink, and it's under thirty dollars. Yeah. yeah, and you Super have to tasty. Be, organic, organic. You yeah. have to be willing to expand your palate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're just stuck in the if you're oak stuck chardonnay, in the oak chardonnay, or, or stuck in the, you know. The uh, fruit forward reds, it's not going to work. Yeah. These wines are really interesting. But, Terry, isn't it nice and fresh? You know what's cool is they're very good food wine. Yes. Easy to marry with so many different things. You know, it's it's what's so beautiful. All right. So what's the red that we have in front of us? Um, The red is also from an appellation that's um, high up in the mountains. It's one of the better known uh, Languedoc appellations, which is the Terrasse du Larzac, Mm -hmm. which you were mentioning um, the cheese. And... uh, this this wine is made by a couple who used to have a very high-end wine shop on the outskirts of Paris. And they said, we want to make our wine. We want to make the wine we love. And so they searched and they found vineyards. Again, high altitude. They're at 350 meters mm. in the Terrasse de Larzac. Uh, when Steve and I were there, because we've walked all the vineyards of every single wine we import, when we were there, there were old uh, tiles from Roman buildings in the soil. It it's was crazy. Just, the whole region is so ancient. Um, anyway, this wine is their um, estate wine, all organic. This wine is biodynamically produced, which means that the um, tending of the vines is all done in accordance with the phases of the moon. Right. And um, this one is Grenache, Syrah, and a little bit of Saint-Saëns. Again, the high altitude, and this one is spontaneously fermented. They don't right. add any yeast. And so... Um, it's as natural a wine as you can get. And when people tell me they get headaches from red wine, I tell them, try this. Try this one. If you get a headache from this, then it really is the red wine. Right. <laughs> it's not the additives. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, this one's fantastic. It's vinified and- okay. in concrete, Carol? Right? Uh, stainless. But yeah. she does um, she does gravity fed. She doesn't uh, press, so it's gravity fed. She puts the grapes in and lets the pressure um, extract the juice, and it's just all supernatural. And today, speaking of biodynamic, today is a fruit day, and the wines really we've checked it many times. The wines really do taste different on different days, and so this should be great today because it's a fruit day. So all right, so you guys have drunk these wines many many times. Uh, what have you? found to be the perfect food matches that come from the region so for example i always talk about the chevrita that i had with a vouvray was one of my best ever wine and cheese matches that ever had and it turned out i didn't know it when i had it but it turned out they were within 10 meters of each other where they were growing Um, what have you find as your favorite food combinations with i won't be answering this question 
Oh, really? Oh, he's no. good. She will. Okay. I mean, the thing, the thing I love about the south of France is that it's a very multicultural area. And where we live, they're, like our village, 30% of the people speak Spanish mm-hmm. because they came over the Spanish border. We're only an hour from Spain. So for me, on the Reds, you... Of course, you're always going to think about meats um, with the Reds because we have the same Rhone varietals, just with some extra because mm-hmm. our rules are much more uh, permissive mm-hmm. um, to add other grape varieties. But I would say with with the red wines, grilled meats, sausages, chorizo, um, you can get into cumin. You can get into some good, some good strong spices. Coriander. Coriander. I mean, it really, these red wines can hold up to it. Um, but what Steve and I discovered during COVID and we had so much fun with was duck with the five spices, the, you know, the Chinese, mm-hmm. the star anise and the five spice. The, these wines are amazing with duck and, and Chinese that. five yeah, spice. Yeah, yeah. And then on the, on the whites, um, it really, there's two broad categories. One is the um, international varietals, which we try to avoid because they're very widely available, which are Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. But um, so that that kind of is just a drinking wine. But when you get into the Mediterranean grapes, the primary grape of the Languedoc region for whites is white Grenache. Mm-hmm. And when you get into white Grenache, Vermentino, Roussan, Marsan, Uni, uni, uni Blanc. Yeah, when you get into those grapes, now you're talking fish and um, oysters, like the peak pool. We have a fabulous peak pool de Pinay. Oysters, um, sharp cheeses, like fresh goat cheese that's that's got tartness to it. So um, then you go more that direction when you're on the Mediterranean, because that's where it is. It's on the Mediterranean, so the wines have tons of freshness, and they have a lot of lift in your mouth, so it's great with seafood and lemon butter sauce. Lots, or, of, uh, lots of sheep cheese down in that area. They do yeah. a lot of, lot sheep. of sheep cheese. A lot of sheep and cheese. And Thierry, you used to make the chicken and the salt crust. Oh, yeah. Like this. Oh, yeah, this would be Ugh. flawless. One of the world's primo dishes. Yeah. <laughs> you know who makes the best chicken and salt crust, in my opinion, in Seattle right now? Because you don't do it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, is uh, Saltoro Restaurant up at 143rd and Aurora and uh, Greenwood. Say it again. Uh, Saltoro. S-A-L-T-O-R-O. Okay, we have to go there, They make Steve. a great little salt-crusted chicken that I think is a, That's cool. a delicious presentation and would go fabulous it with It would be wine. fabulous yeah. with the Mediterranean grape. With wine. Right. salt and that fruitiness level is exactly. a really nice combination. It's amazing. Yeah. With our wine clubs, people who join the wine clubs and get their quarterly shipments, Every single bottle of wine that w- we send them comes with a recipe that pairs with the wine. Cool. Great. So we only have time to tell us uh, how to get on your wine club and how to get to your tasting room one more time. You can find our wine clubs at um, www.theprincessandthebear.com. And um, our tasting room, which we are so excited about for people that are in Seattle, is at 309 South Cloverdale Street, and that's in the South Park neighborhood. Thursday so. through Sunday, 12 to 6. Uh, are you guys going to stay and be our victims for Food for Thought tasting? Wait, 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 Absolutely. Uh, we can take it. We're Absolutely. ready. We've been, you know, they are a doctor and an attorney. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You call them victims that are easy now because we're going to be crucified again. Hey, you got to be confident. Go in Okay, okay, dude. okay. Yeah. I'm good. You know, okay. the louder the bark, the... <laughs> The sooner that you fall. Um, Be careful. We'll be right back for the Tasty Trivia on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. 
Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. It's time for Rub With Love Tasty Trivia. Rub With Love is a group of small batch made versatile rubs, sauces, and mustards that I make my very self, well, not me personally, but our team makes in our Ballard Warehouse. Uh, They bring extra layers of flavor to any meal. Look for them in your local grocery store and specialty shops. Or find them online at TomDouglas.com. You know, all the Met Markets, Ballard Markets, you know, they're everywhere. Uh, you know who our biggest seller they online everywhere. is? It's called Your Buddy Stan. So you can find him with Your Buddy Stan. Where is Your Buddy Stan? He's online. Okay. They're delicious. Uh, <laughs> Bartels, stores, you name it. Okay, Pamela, will you tell us uh, who our winner is today and how you play the game? Jennifer Wixon is our winner. She was so excited to see Terry's cute face again, and we agree. Um, Maybe the, I should invite her to look. <laughs> yes, you should. Uh, the prize this week, uh, in keeping with what Carol just told us about, is uh, the Chinese 12 Spice, one of our lesser-known rubs, but incredibly versatile, the Bengal Masala. And the triple garlic teriyaki. I wish I was getting this package. Incredible. The game is going to be played by having our three contestant parties. Uh, Carol and Steve are going to team up against Terry on his own team and Tom on his, each getting five questions. The loser has to pay for the shipping of the prize to the winner. All right. <laughs> okay. And a big L on the forehead. Where does the winner live? In America? Someplace some, some far away and they want FedEx Lives, okay. overnight. Yeah, we're going to pay shipping to Australia. Okay. And it's 600 pounds. Don't worry. Yeah. Those spices are light. Uh, <laughs> we're starting with Terry. What is Wiener Schnitzel traditionally made of? Villain breading. Correct. Which country would you be in if you ended up eating Colcannon and Champ? Colcannon and Champ? Oh, you're in Scotland. Ireland. Oh, right next door. (laughs) Two classic potato dishes. What is the name of the South American dish of raw fish marinated in citrus juice? Hold on, I know this. You know this. Of course I know this. Uh, oh my God, I'm blanking out on the name. <laughs> I got it. Um, hold I on. can help him. Hold on, it's coming, it's coming. I did. I'm like, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the thing I made with that chef. I'm actually... Maybe you've um, eaten it in Mexico too. I was going to say campache, but that's not... Uh, oh my God. <laughs> This is ridiculous. I'm having a blank. Shut it out, Steve. Ceviche. Oh, I can't believe I cannot come up with the word ceviche. That's crazy. I had I found this question just for you. I'm so delighted. Some bands share a name with a food. Which band named after a food stuff has sold the most records? The grape something? No, the what did we talk about earlier? Ah, the oh, oh, the peppers, yes, yeah, of the red, yes, red hot chili oh, yeah. peppers. <laughs> and your final one: which country consumes the most coffee? Italy, the Netherlands. Chef, right. I'm taking over your mic because you were Steve lame Carol, today. Ready to just trounce these guys? We're ready. Is it our turn? Right. Which yep. country eats the least amount of meat? No idea. India, yeah. India. Correct. India. Tom, you might have to help me with the pronunciation. If you ask for unagi, is that right? In a Japanese Mm -hmm. restaurant, what would you get? Eel. Correct. You guys are screaming into the lead. 
Good. Number three, where would you find Tom Yum soup? I have At my house, if I made it. <laughs> Tom Yum. China? Thailand. No. Thailand. I was going to guess, but yeah. I thought you said that, but. Yeah. Swans are protected in the UK. Who is the only person allowed to eat swan? Where do you <laughs> the, queen. Oh. It's the queen. The queen. Yes. The princess knew the answer. She's the queen. I'm the princess. Actually, you should see the princess when she becomes the bear. Oh, not, not pretty. <laughs> what animal do they use in the Middle East for milk, meat, and transport? Camels. Yes. <laughs> I think we need you on as a continual contestant. Okay. Well, the answer, I don't you know. can call me from France. I'll Camels. get on. Camels. Yeah. Yeah, we got it right. Four out of five. Yeah, Not nice. bad. All couple, right, Mr. For a couple Douglas. of retired rookies. I know, retired rookies. In Arkansas, you might be able to buy buffalo ribs. What are they? Uh, the ribs of a bison. No, it's fried fish. <laughs> where, where might, I, that's why I don't go to Arkansas. Where might you be able to try bird nest soup? China. Yes. Which shellfish should be eat should be alive when eaten? Alive when eaten or alive when shucked? Alive when eaten. Well, or, when or I shuck an oyster, I kill the oyster, so they're not alive anymore. So if that's what you're saying, I that's what I'm saying. I disagree with you. you. You, I'm giving you the answer. It's oyster. Yeah. They're but alive when you shuck them, them. But, yeah. But you're killing them. Once you shuck them, they, they die? So did he get that right or yeah. not? I'm giving it to him because right. he's really been losing a lot lately. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, he's also right. He's right. She has to give it to him. <laughs> Which U.S. president invented eggnog? Uh, president Egg. <laughs> uh, eggnog is like a, a, a Christmassy a dairy state. Uh, so I would say President Lincoln. George Washington. George oh, Washington. Wow. And what is the difference between jam and jelly? Jam is like when you get a band together and you got all these instruments <laughs> and you bam, 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 and jam together. And jelly is like my belly at Christmas time, like a bowl full of jelly. <laughs> that is a silly answer. Jam uses the actual fruit, whereas jelly uses the fruit juice. We are so proud to announce the winners of the Princes and the Bay. Nice job. So wait, as the winner, we have to pay the postage? <laughs> oh, no. You're out of here. <laughs> I am paying for the prize. Chef Terry, being the loser, is paying for the postage. You get to walk out with the fame and glory of having beaten the two finest trivia chefs okay. in the land. That is a prize enough for me. That's yeah. the prize. So I'm don't excited. forget, um, it's called The Princess and the Bear. Their wine shop, uh, or their tasting room is down in South Park on Cloverdale. And uh, next door, you said the Osprey Cafe is there? Osprey so Bistro. A, if you want to make a day of it, you can head down, have a wine tasting, and then just jump over. And, and, and there are it. some other really good restaurants there, too. Loretta's Tavern is Loretta's. down there. Yeah. And, um, and don't forget, just around the corner, right down by the freeway interchange, is Food Lifeline. Yes. The most efficient yeah. food relief organization. And remember, on August 7th, it's um, Grilling for Good out there at the dock in, uh, in Ballard. And you pay 100 bucks. $100, 100% goes to the food bank, and you get a delicious salmon 
or pork chop dinner. Bless your heart, Mr. Douglas, again. Well, whatever. It's the it's because of the Wachner Foundation we're able to do this. So. I just wanted to put in a plug, too, for the Duwamish River Cleanup is going to have on August 7th a fair down in South Park. So for anybody down there, come by and yeah. see what they're so doing to clean up. South Park and then end up at the come dock have, and get some dinner. food. Yeah. And it's an honor to be in the presence and Uncle chefs. Eddie's is down there. Well, thank you so much. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're listening to us on Cairo. As you know, the show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Sean McFadden is our technical director, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of Hot Stove Society Radio Show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend.